Hey, what's going on? Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Get Out There podcast. My name is Billy Newman. And I'm Marina Hansen. And today we are back with an episode of the podcast. We're going to be talking about some of the things to do when you're getting ready for some winter camping stuff, some winter outdoors travel, some of the things we need to do to get ready for some winter outdoors travel. Shoot, we got some stuff to talk about. Ooh, some watch stuff. Everybody, yeah. loves, everybody <laughs> loves watches, right? Um, but we'll have some, uh, some other stuff to talk about kind of around that. And we've got some uh, trip things to talk about too. Some pretty interesting stuff, like some, uh, some Native American petroglyphs, some elk hunt stuff that we have to talk about that had kind of finished up. So a few things we can kind of chat about for, for a couple of minutes today, but thanks a lot, Marina, for being here and uh, for uh, hanging out in the studio for a few, talking about some outdoor travel stuff. Yeah. It's kind of fun. So Marina and I are both photographers. We, uh, we work in Oregon and we are out often trying to take photographs and stuff. So this is sort of a, an ancillary activity that we just sort of become accustomed to is understanding the equipment and the procedure of doing outdoor travel and outdoor adventure travel. I like a little bit more specifically kind of looking at that market of how, um, you know, think just how people do different stuff and how people interact with uh, the outdoors and different outdoor activities. And so I want to talk to different people about that sort of stuff too. Like uh, a lot of the podcasts that we'd had with uh, Robert were great of a lot of stuff that he talked to us about, um, like his travel, like on different hunting trips and uh, his time, like doing outdoor uh, adventure, whitewater rafting. Yeah, on the yeah. All the guide stuff, the fishing stuff. A lot of this stuff is really interesting, really valuable talk. And I really dig uh, hearing about some of those, his voice and like what he had to say about it. And like a lot of the, the other podcasters and, and or some of the other outdoor enthusiasts that I've heard, uh, like Steve Ranella. I really appreciated that stuff. Yeah. I really enjoy him. Yeah. Some of the, some of like the hunting and like outdoor thinking stuff about it's just a little bit more complex, a little bit more intricate and developed about its use. So I really dig like the the, the kind of pop uh, outdoorsness that's been going on for the last seven years or so. You know what I mean? A little bit. It seems like the they'll go go hiking is sort of popped as like a a thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a little bit more, and especially like with yeah, with the amount that we see in the expansion and stuff. It seems like that's definitely there. Really pro that. I like that. You know, people from the city going out and doing things outside in nature and really with that process, even each time, even if they're novice at some point, they really do develop a lot of expertise and some stuff pretty quickly. And no doubt is there are a lot of people from an urban area that know quite a bit about stuff in the back country. You, you really do see that more than maybe you would expect with uh, what folks often call city slickers. Yeah, definitely. I'd say that I'd say it's a lot, a lot more people. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people now that have gone to REI enough times and have ended up sleeping on rocks out in nowhere enough times that they're going to be pretty good. They're going to be like, yeah, I've summited Mount Hood. I've, you know, I've done a backpacking trip for six days or whatever it is. You know, and I've, I've learned how to do rock climbing stuff. I bought rope. I've ruined rope. I've got carabiners. I've busted stuff. I've messed up my harness. I've, you know, scraped stuff on rocks sort of a thing. So people kind of, I think are getting like a little bit more used to some of this stuff. And, you know, some of this outdoor adventure travel stuff. And it seems like it's more accessible with better equipment now, way better, more technical equipment now. These, this last decade, the decade before that, sort of since the turn of the millennium, really, you know, you kind of think about it at that time, but you think about some of the equipment people were going out with in the 80s and the 70s, oh definitely the 50, before they produced anything for that. It was just like, you know, they were, it was like mining tools. 
<laughs> that's what they went out with. You know, what is that? It's like, ah, ah. You see, I like you, well, never mind. But you just see absurd things back in the day. So we're so blessed to have all the abilities that we have now and all the different types of, of equipment to keep us safe for one, keep us comfortable on the other, keep us dry and, uh, and really like add a lot to the experience of being outside in a practical way, outside of heavy equipment, heavy gear. It's really just the right tool seems to make a big difference. And especially when you're outside. Absolutely. Outside of survival. Yeah. Most folks live. That's sort of what we found out. Camping isn't quite uh, isn't quite surviving like uh, like what you thought you would write, read and Hatchet when you were a kid. You remember reading Hatchet? <laughs> yeah. Did you read it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's on like, the book list. Yeah. You're like, well, this must be like what camping's like. But or, you, know, so you, <laughs> you kind of you get into those like you get into those survival shows. Like, what are you gonna do if you were on an island? And it's like, uh, if you're lost, that's a big deal. But probably a lot sure. of time, you're 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 out on a trip and you're you're doing something else but it's not really the same so it's interesting when you start thinking about like what what do you you know what are you practically trying to do everybody ends up being okay but you know how do you kind of stay comfortable and stay steady how do you figure out how to do that how do you figure out how to kind of uh, have have a grounding over yourself so you can kind of protect yourself and protect other people around you when you're out in the outdoors and not in like an over safe way at all just, it, it no, really just a takes, pretty regular. Yeah. I was out by a bunch of sheep today. They were just getting rained on all day outside. <laughs> it hardly phased them. So we could probably be okay with a little bit more too. Uh, it's not, it's not too bad. Um, but I was thinking, uh, yeah, like, uh, I, I went and got an Allen wrench and I was just unscrewing my toolbox. It's in the back of my truck right now. You know, like one of those, right. one of those back end, uh, toolboxes. And so I'm going to, I'm going to ditch that. I'm going to sell that off. And I really want to replace that with the canopy. It's that system that I've seen a ton of people do now, which is awesome. And I really dig that, that idea. But you put the canopy on the truck and then you put like a raised shelf bed in the truck where it has like two pullouts or some kind of lift up thing where you can have access, like some little, some little smugglers stowaway where you can pack up most of your gear under what would be like the floor of your truck bed. And it's kind of, it's an interesting system. Have you seen a few of those? Yeah, I've seen a ton of that. I think that, sort of like van life truck version yeah, setup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember uh Ben to Baja. Do you remember reading that book? Definitely Ben to Baja. Yeah. And I remember yeah when they they hit Baja and that Toyota truck comes up with them or maybe it was maybe it was just the one they had the time. But they had like they had like the plywood built one in the back where they would like slide out pieces and they right, had like their yeah. chips in there and their tacates. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed cool. It was like, oh man, I gotta get I gotta get a truck. I got a truck bed. I gotta get a canopy. I gotta put my sleeping bag up there on a mat and then yeah slide out drawers and stuff and you can put all your deals in there you put your kitchen stuff in there whatever it is um so i've, I've been seeing that more that built out more as like a product like you can buy a fixture now that goes into a truck bed that's like oh. a machined piece of drawer work cool <laughs> yeah yeah it's, that's it's, awesome it's interesting how some of those have been coming together there's a few of the photographers that i follow in the northwest that have been getting into that stuff and uh, it's a cool way to do it but uh, but yeah it's 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 interesting it's an interesting way of kind of dealing with the space and um it, it's just long enough right for us to sleep in yeah like it's just the right size <laughs> just that size um so yeah the idea is yeah sleep in the back drive out somewhere cool sleep in the back wake up in your truck have some gear there pop out do some shooting yeah some uh, photographs and uh, and then yeah pop back in and do some more camping that's great 
Yeah. It's a great way to deal with um, not even necessarily like winter weather, but just like we experienced in oh. uh, like some of that Eastern Oregon stuff, like when oh. we were in Imnaha. Yeah. And it's just so cold in the high desert at night. It's way It's so colder. cold. And just being inside of a car is a million times better than well, being in your tent all wrapped up. Think about that wind exposure we the had wind. in the Alvord. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah the wind in the Alvord. That was, was a, so rough. That was rough. <laughs> I was saying yeah. that was pretty rough. Yeah, like, because you're just getting like barely pelted by a lot of wind and then like sand dust. or dust. It's not even sand. It's not yeah, even like. it's too fine to be sand. It's, it's, but you notice it though. And it's just yes. like, uh, it won't <laughs> stop. Uh. And yeah, the only thing you want is just some shelter and there's nothing. Yeah, just like a barrier. Just, <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no rock to hide behind. So it's, it's just, a, those are heaters. Away. <laughs> Pretty loud in the background. <laughs> Home studio. Home studio. Yeah, I know. Duh. Like old buildings have that sort of stuff too. Those old, like old. Oh yeah, city that buildings. heater system. Yeah, have those accordion oil, oil filled ones. Yeah. yeah, crazy stuff. The steam heater, whatever it is. Yeah, it's cool. But it's it's fun to have. But yeah, it's so loud. Pick clank. This time of year. Pretty bad in the back of our podcast sometimes. Bam, bam, bam. What were we talking about? Canopies? We were talking about canopies. Yeah. And uh, so one of there's, so there's just like the exposure thing um, with with nice weather, but in high desert and stuff, or like right now, part of why I really want it right now is uh, just that we live in the Pacific Northwest and it rains. It rains so much. It's rainy season and it's really wet, but we still want to be getting out and going on cool trips and camping uh, because that's the kind of photography we do. We do like, I mean, like Billy's talked about a million times, but we, we go out and we do a outdoor adventure lifestyle type of photography and mm-hmm. landscape stuff. So really it's all about getting out to outdoors places Yeah, all year because it's our job all year. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's a ton just... of fun and it's beautiful. And really like it's awesome being able to get out because not everybody likes to. So it's cool yeah. being a set of yeah. a set of the people who are out all year round. And being involved, it really like it, getting out to those spots in the mountains, even though it's snowy. Yeah. Or going out and shooting and hiking for the day, even though it's raining. Yeah. It's a lot easier to commit to that idea when you have a car to come oh, back to, I totally like a, a setup car. If it's yeah. just like, like just my CRV or something, like I can kind of crumple in the back, but it's not like real setup. I know. Having a cool uh, truck, yeah, setup truck. though is uh, awesome and. Yeah. Or a van, if that's what you've got, or are into a super cool and yeah. really makes just a huge difference for what you're able to do all year round. Yeah, I totally or, see it. Man, even like urban camping, yeah. which we've done plenty of times. Huge it's great difference. if you're on a road trip or just if that's the way it is in the zone that you're yeah, at. Yeah, for real. It's really, it's really great being able to just get to the places that you need to and being able to sleep yeah. when you need to. Dip into the back of the truck and there you are. You're set. And self-contained it's great yeah you're ready to go so i i really appreciate it being able to do stuff like that so that's a little bit of the idea is to is to work the truck over a little bit and have a setup so um our springtime expeditions are uh, a little bit more more set up for ourselves it'll be really fun though i, I really want to get out and explore some stuff in the in in the springtime but really still a ton of stuff through the winter also there's a lot of photography ideas i have right now i'm dealing with uh kind of worn out tires marina oh yeah i know we're 
we're in need of oh. some fresh tires. I've been running uh, 31, 10, 50, 15s of some uh, BF Goodrich all-terrain tires. I love those tires. It's like my favorite favorite set of tires. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they, I've had them for like a few years. And so they're, they're starting to run run ball a little bit i guess those do run ball but they're starting to starting to get down low definitely and uh so i gotta swap a couple of those out but i was trying to think about like traction tire stuff it's it's it's, it's pricey right it's like about 150 yeah. if you're getting a good price to up to like 170 180 or so for each tire just the rubber and yeah. uh uh, definitely worth it though. It seems like they hold up and, and they really do what you want them to do. Yeah, quite they're nicely. great tires and they last so long. You've had those tires for a oh, super years long now. time. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. were on your other truck before they were on yeah, this truck. Yeah, I'm a forerunner back in the day. Yeah, so uh, definitely. They're worth it. Definitely the thing that seems worth it to me. I got I to gotta yeah, put a I couple of those on there. Yeah, I know it's really coming up for us. I was thinking about that. Yeah, but I want to get set up so that we're, uh, we're kind of ready for some winter travel stuff so we can jump out hop on the the 126 or the 58 and then head out to uh, some of the stuff up in the Cascades. I really want to try and jump up there, do some snowshoeing this year, maybe for yeah. you, and uh, try and take advantage of some of those nicer days or, you know, whatever that is to be a nicer day up in the Cascades. But I want to try and head up to Hoodoo and head up to the Willamette a few more times during the winter season this year. Yeah, I'd really like to get out there a bunch. Yeah, yeah, we got to do something like that. But I want to try and do... Um, yeah, some outdoor stuff up there, and okay, I still want to pop up to like Eastern Oregon a bit. Oh, me too. I really awesome love stuff out there. Last time we were there, that was like um, I went on that trip uh, out to like Christmas Valley, and I was checking some stuff out, and it was cool. I um, I started doing some research a little bit after I got back, and a little bit of, of some of the stuff I was understanding when I was out there, of, of sort of the terrain and how stuff out in Christmas Valley works out in Eastern Oregon, and I was. Um, I was finding out some of the information about the petroglyphs that are out there. Like there's this thing, Picture Rock Pass, that's out in between Summer Lake, Oregon and Silver Lake, Oregon. And it's sort of this ridge, this rock ridge that goes between it. And there's, uh, there's Indian artifacts there that go back, I guess, like 10,000 years. It's an insane amount. One of the earliest, uh, one of the earliest human-made things that are remains uh, was found at uh, a site near Fort Rock. I think it was like the Fort Rock Cave. And then there's also another location, the Paisley Cave, uh, that uh, that had some of these early Paleolithic peoples. Um, I think it was like a shoe. It was like a it was like a reed shoe that was made out of grass or something like that. But it was like a, a little bag of shoes, something like that. Oh wow. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was, it, they, but they're like nine thousand years old. It was like ice age stuff. Ice yeah, age. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was the Clovis people that had come down over the land bridge, or you know whatever that is that studied around that. I think Clovis is the name of a white guy that was a scientist that said he thought it was a group of people that came over the land bridge, and then he named them after himself. <laughs> they're twelve thousand years old. They're long gone. But uh, some of the artifacts are still, uh, I think, kind of run around the Clovis name, like the, the the fluted Clovis point is like a type of Indian arrowhead that uh, that kind of has this concave base to it where it's supposed to sort of fit down into a stick so that it makes oh, like a spear yeah. sort of a thing and then they wrap around it so if you, if you were to kind of think of it it's sort of like it's, it's a point on the bottom end it's sort of like an axe head at the bottom end and then it slopes up to the fat part and then it tapers down into an arrowhead point at the top end if that makes any sense and then that axe end, that knife end 
that would like be driven down into the center of a straight stick and then wrapped with and, and glued in with like sinew and um, whatever leather twine stuff that they would have. It was kind of, it was, it was an interesting way of like making a stone tool and like getting it on a stick as a tool and then jabbing it stuff with it. Uh, <laughs> that was the idea. But I guess, uh, I guess that's one of the few areas here in Oregon that they'd had found Clovis sites, like these fluted Clovis sites. And so it's kind of interesting, but I was also hearing that uh, this, this location, Picture Rock Pass is sort of associated with this. Maybe I'm a little bit doubtful though, but uh, they say that the Picture Rock Pass is really an unknown um, pictographic date because it doesn't really match the artwork of the other the artwork and type and uh, like style implementation of the art like the tool that would have been used on the rock um it, it seems like it would have been different between the other uh pictographs that are in the area oh sure it's just a different mm -hmm. look or style the way that they drew the people and the goats and stuff you yeah. just see it's like a different era kind of a, a group um, and so they, they talk about it as being like a few different groups and tribes that would have been there over like a 10,000 year period. Like um, we went to the site that was, uh, it was a teepee ring and it was this ring of rocks that was put up um, that uh, it wouldn't have been a teepee. I guess it would have been some sort of like canvas hut sort of thing. And, and the rocks are just like a, a big wall to, to block out a pretty brutal high desert wind that's out there in Oregon. Now, apparently back in the day, it was a, it was a more lush climate, kind of like what we experience a bit more on this West side of the Cascades. I think it, there's a lot more water out there in those lake areas. Oh, right. So I think that aridness wasn't really there. And maybe some of the trees in that area would have had like a different effect of how cool it was to camp there all year. <laughs> Uh, but it, but it is an interesting area. It would have been like on the the high ridge. It was like this this kind of rise that came up over a, a lake area. Now it's dry. There's nothing there. It's just it's just kind of burned out. There's a creek that flows into it and makes it marshy for part of the year. But really, it's just a dry lake bed. But you see where this massive body of water once would have stood when a watershed would have been uh, more able to feed it uh, consistently throughout the year. Same goes a little further south when you get into Summer Lake, which still really it does exist a little bit more significantly. But in the summertime, it can dry out almost completely. And you just see, uh, you just see, uh, like, what is it? Uh, Vespers or, is that what it is? Is that what like a dust devil is called? Oh, I'm actually not sure what they're called. Other than dust devils. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Uh, what's the, <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask but yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, but you'll see like, yeah, these dust devils, these little uh, tornadoes and stuff, or you know, you know what you're talking or what we're talking about. You see like dust blowing around out there, like a little desert out there. It's crazy. But at the top of that rise, it was uh, this picture rock pass. It was this area. I think it's just off the highway now. And it's this idea or it's, it's this real kind of dim looking rock, but it has these couple figures on it. And it looks like they're, it's like a, like a hunting party, hunting gazelle or, or not gazelle, but uh, like antelope or deer or whatever would have been out there elk or something at the time but it's interesting when you see it and you go like oh well that's totally a person totally doing something and they're chasing these critters well that's what they're up to huh no way uh so it's cool it's cool uh getting to see some stuff like that and, and really pondering like wow like this is a guy that walked here and lived here and his family's walked here from where from when how that happened they were here when like when we were well i don't know like you know back in the bc era 
you know, it was like ancient Greece or something like that would have been a contemporary just to the Klamath Indians. I wouldn't even have gone back to like the ancient Egyptians or something like that that would have been around for some of this picture rock past stuff. Like you imagine what the experience was of some guy like that that lived during the time of the pharaohs and he's just out here in rural Oregon. Oh, <laughs> man, that would have been so weird. What a weird existence. It's just totally alien to what I can really perceive now is the way things are. Strange how stuff like that changes, you know? You don't really have that perspective of the land and the way that stuff is and the way you just kind of take things as as it, as it is. Almost. Yeah, as it is now. Yeah. Yeah, super fascinating. But it's cool to get out there in areas like the high desert where things are still really exposed. See, similarly, those types of artifacts exist even right here where we are now. Because Indians were everywhere, especially imagine like all the types of things that would be on the East Coast that are probably walked and built right over really, and have long been disturbed and then now destroyed. But really the precious thing about Eastern Oregon is how arid and rare it is for any people to actually be out in that area. So a, a tin can left there 15 years ago is still there in that same spot yeah. just being weathered. And similarly, this teepee ring that was put up there 2,500 years ago to, or to whatever it was is still there just kind of sitting there waiting for the next uh, hunting party to come through and put up a canvas hut on it and hang out by the river during a, uh, a few hundred years when it's wet. Talk about climate change. Kind of interesting stuff and, uh, and interesting to kind of get that kind of perspective of a few thousand years of humans being right where we are, you know, especially West coasters, we just have this perception that this is all brand new. And it really is. I mean, everything we're doing here, this is like a hundred years old or something. But then you think about, you know, ancient Rome or something, what it must be like to live there where you think, wow, people have been right here doing this, building this for mm -hmm. thousands of years. And so it's weird to kind of get that, exp that moment for a second with something that's part of the West Coast here. Yeah, it is really cool. It's a cool experience. It was fun. And uh, yeah, getting to see the TP rings and the pictographs, that was really cool. And uh, and yeah, definitely like a bit of a thing that is kind of interesting. It's, it's, I don't know, it's curious, like uh, just having that kind of experience. So it was fun kind of getting to see some stuff like that. Yeah, it's so cool that you got to do that trip out there <clears throat> and see it. Picture Rock. I really want to make it out there with you. We should try and find it. Yeah, I would love to try and go out there and do something like that. I think it'd be really interesting. But uh, we got to use our watches to find it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. we've been doing we've been uh, messing with the the Suntu core watches and that's like a few generations Suntu has so many different versions of stuff right now i really like this one still the most which is uh it's like an abc watch i think it's an altimeter barometer compass watch if i understand right and that's like the type of computer that it has on it of the the abilities that it has so it's got like the chronograph stopwatch stuff on it and it obviously tells time it also has a, a temperature thing on it which is cool yeah yeah, it says uh, it says sunset sunrise times for the date that it is. I've been digging the the uh, the type of stuff I can do with it. It's interesting though, as you start kind of moving up on the range of it. I think you go to like the Ambit. That's another Singtu Core watch, and that's like a I think it has a heart rate monitor. It's like like a fitness watch. It's got oh. the pedometer stuff in it. I think that'll sync to another device. Oh really? Yeah, but I also think at the same time it's still a little bit more like a base watch interesting there's kind of a like that mid-range there's another one that's like that the traverse that was one that was like sort of like this but it has like a gps system in it and so like you can set a waypoint on your watch and go and then it'll, it'll show you on your watch like this little squiggly trail that's like where you're walking 
Yeah. On a map, I guess. Yeah. I don't even know. What, or I don't even know if it's a map. It's probably not. It's just, it looks like a squiggly trail and it shows you your distance that you've walked. It's interesting, but it's, it's got like a few of those features and then it'll kick that back out to your Android phone or whatever it is. But it's interesting. Some of the, some of the, the other stuff that they're doing. Do you yeah, remember there's... way back? Do you remember like the, what was it? Like the Suntu Vector? This is like the first watch I remember really wanting. Or like, <laughs> I was so silly. Yeah, I was like, so like, oh man, I got to get this super cool watch. Here, let me show it to you up here on the big monitor. We're bouncing it up here. Whoa. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, I remember this one was a pretty fun one. And uh, I don't really even know what it did or why it would be so cool. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh man, that's going to be so cool. I really want that big watch. And then like the one after that was the one that we have now, like this one. Yeah. 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 Cool. I was gonna say it looks. It looks like. Yeah, this I think, is kind of like the next version of that. A Finnish company or a Swedish company, right? I Do you know don't. Where they come? Oh, Finland, designed in Finland, by Suntu, made in China. Right on. Well, there you go. Cool like Apple, designed in California. You know how they put some put <laughs> that stuff on. But yeah, I, I was like, uh, yeah, Doug. Um, like the big watch, the big watch face, the big like outdoor system and stuff. And it had like, it had like a couple cool features on it. Like a little, like a countdown timer where it would fill the outside ring up like as the time went around. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was, or just kinda, yeah so it would just I like stuff. that kind of stuff. I always dug it too. I was like, oh man, it's so sweet. It looks cool. But it was, it was sweet for like outdoor stuff. It had like a lot of ability with the, or way more expensive back then than like what we got now. Thank <laughs> goodness. Like, I remember being way into, yeah, I remember like looking them up when I was, I had, I had them, the uh what is it like the guide access to the like promotional store oh yeah when you're doing photos for that rafting company yeah and like i remember they had suntu watches on there and like you could get a discount i was like oh man maybe i could get one and but it was still like way too much 380 dollars you know like oh. with the discount oh, oh man <laughs> yeah yeah it wasn't happening back then um but it's cool yeah i did uh i did throw in one of these watches on it's fun having that something that's a little bit more for like outdoor outdoor adventure stuff but i know really like a lot of the, like the, the cool shark watch we had before mm-hmm. super effective still tide watches are pretty cool i like tide them watches are cool. if you're on the ocean or something i think the tide watch system is super valuable that was a cool pe- that was a cool feature to have on the watch like kind of knowing some of like the the stuff around the tide and I just having to like keep the tide table tracked that was cool and it Came in handy a few times. I just wish I knew better how to read it or deal with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun to have. And um, I don't know. It was kind of cool, like, figuring it out. But I like the compass and I like the uh, the altimeter and barometer stuff a ton. I've been having I so really much fun like with the barometer. It. Yeah. It's been pretty flat for most of the day, though. It's been at, like, 1022 HPA. Is that, like, millibars? I've been reading it in metric. See, like, when I first learned about barometer stuff, I learned how to read it in metric. Mm-hmm. And not really in standard, but that's like the like the only unit I know better in metric than in standard. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of a funny thing, but uh, so I should probably figure out the uh, the the standard uh, way to read it too. But I, yeah, I was trying to figure out like the barometric pressure uh, way to read that and stuff. But it was cool. It shows you like a little graph and stuff. It'll also show you a graph if you're uh, like your elevation gain or something. If you're if you're on a hike and you're or backpacking, and you're going up. You can set it to the altimeter and it'll show you your elevation gain as you're moving up. Yeah, that's a ton of fun. A really interesting like piece. Part. Yeah, I think that's a really cool way 
to track some of your stuff while you're hiking. But it yeah. also has a few few little hiccups. We should try and check it out. We'll we'll do a little A and B test. Like we'll set, we'll synchronize our altimeter, and then uh, and then we'll like go on a hike or something and go up up in elevation, and then we'll track like it's changed and say like, oh well, you're so much higher up than me, Maria. <laughs> How'd you get up there? So, so up. Uh, but I remember that like on our on one of our backpacking trips, where we, you know one of the few times where we really made a significant elevation change, and it was like, whoa, this is way off. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a few of those things where there's a bit of like temperature and pressure that are related. It's one of those things where it can get thrown off. Like if you do, if you, I think if you rise in elevation pretty quickly and the temperature drops, kind of because you're rising in elevation kind of quickly, mm-hmm. it throws it throws it off a bit, if I understand right, because it's mm-hmm. measuring like this barometric pressure against the temperature and sort of figuring out your altitude based on the pressure change or something. It was kind of, it was an interesting way of doing it. I didn't really understand it totally. Um, but yeah, it was this way of calculating that the, your elevation and the elevation change. And it's it's really pretty accurate to just a couple of feet. I was surprised to be like, oh, well, I can like pick up like a little bit up here, a little bit down there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a cool, uh, and it's, it's a cool feature. It's a cool way to like see some stuff. It's, it's fun. Cool I, liked, I liked watching it when we were uh, on our backpacking trip in the Wallawas yeah. just a little while back. Yeah, it was That's great. Fun. I dug that too. I thought it was really fun to have something like that. And you know, like uh, separation between like some of these smartwatches and stuff. Now, the thing that I like the most, if it's if it's some kind of piece of technology, or a watch is hardly a piece of technology, but I guess this is a bit of a computer. But the thing that I like is is that it's a it's a deadbolt kind of of device. It works no matter what. It just like it does. Yeah, it does what it the thing that it's to. for, and it sort of like physically operates. I like that part of it. I don't like the the, the touch screen lock sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think if you feel the the feeling of a difference between like if you yeah for something that you're or, wearing yeah even if an Apple Watch had GPS I don't I don't know if that's what I would I would never choose that to be like an outdoors watch yeah. one because it's gonna be you know dead in a day or GPS is gonna eat it up in an hour if anything yeah, else so you can't even really go out so there's all these things that make it like uh impractical for its and then like it's not gonna have any service or reception anything it's not gonna be able to do any of the functionality that it would have so it's so reliant on all these third-party services that exist on servers outside of it that it has to connect to all that stuff is is not really that deadbolt this is going to work kind of tool that i want for something on my wrist or something that's like yeah. a, a watch or a tool for the outdoors where you're going to be removed from all of those kind of things as it is anyway. And you really want those tools you have to be robust when you use them. That yeah. seems like something really important. Like the knife I have, you know, or the Leatherman or something like that. I want like a, I want a good one with me if something happened. Not like the, you know, a little flimsy Victor Knox Swiss mm-hmm. Army knife knockoff. So it's kind of interesting when you, you think about it a little bit. But I don't know, but cheap watches, cheap digital watches though. That's what I lived on, so. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need a soon to, but you don't need an Apple Watch, I guess. But it's fun, man. I'm having a great time. It's a great watch. So, a little review of the soon to, a little bit of talk about parametric uh, pressure, <laughs> and some canopies, some uh, some little camping stuff, some TP rings, some Indian history, some petroglyph stuff. My goodness, what else is there that one could talk about on an outdoors podcast called the get out there podcast. I wonder, Marina, we'll find out probably next week when we get back to more episodes and uh, more stories. I want to talk to my friend, Robert, 
who we've done uh, so many episodes with so far before. And I want to talk to him about his recent trip where he went uh, elk hunting up in the fossil drainage. Spray? No, it was Spray South. I think it was fossil. It's like Seneca or something's out there. A cool area. But yeah, up in the, the fossil spray, fo- fossil Seneca 395 area. I guess there's elk out there. I've heard that before uh, from other hunters that have gone out there. So I want to hear from him about his, uh, his elk trip out there. Sounds cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm excited to hear from him about that too. Our, uh, as I understand it, like the way tags work for different animals, some of them are harder to yeah. get. Like elk is one of the ones that That's what I hear. don't really pull as often. So oh, it's really cool he got one this like year. One in seven years or something. Yeah, it seems hard. We should do some homework for that one, but that'd be cool to talk about. I'd love to, um, to learn a little bit about that and uh, ask him some questions and hear how he's doing. But It'll be fun. So until next time on the Get Out There podcast, I'd like to thank Marina Hansen. So on behalf of Marina, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Get Out There podcast. Talk to you guys next time.